Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is sustainability and reusable packaging with my friend Mike Newman. Guys, we all know we're being asked by our customers to have more sustainable solutions in the supply chain. My friend Mike is an expert in sustainability, and he's got a winner for us. And it's about all about reusable packaging. And so often when we find one of these, you go, well, yeah, I'm going to lose a lot of money doing that. Not in this case. This makes sense. This makes sense for profits. This makes sense for the planet. This makes sense for people. So check out my interview with Mike Newman. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about the TMSA conference that's coming up in Savannah, Georgia, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And TMSA is Transportation Marketing and Sales Association. And they're having a conference called Elevate. It's down in Savannah, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And it's all about learning, networking, getting inspired, having a good time, meeting the very top marketers in our space. And all the people who know how to grow your sales, they are at this conference. So it's a great event if you're trying to grow your sales and who isn't trying to grow their sales. So tmsatoday.org is the website. I will put a link to it in the show notes. I hope to see you down there. I will definitely be down there. So how's it going, Mike Newman? It's going great. Good to see you. Mike, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. I'm Mike Newman. I'm the CEO of Returnity. We design and implement reusable packaging systems for retailers, and I'm here in Brooklyn, New York. Very nice. Very nice. Now, how, please spell that for us. It's R-E-T-U-R-N-I-T-Y. So it's just return with I-T-Y at the end. So one more time, what do you guys do? Well, we help retailers switch from cardboard boxes and poly mailer bags to reusable, durable shipping and delivery packaging. And so it's about environmental sustainability, but also about creating cost and operational efficiency through smarter packaging. Ooh, I, so I get the sustainability part. So you're going to save us, save the environment. Does this cost extra money or is this cheaper? Well, making a more durable good is going to be more expensive up front. So you have to actually reuse it. But our packaging actually does save retailers money for two reasons. One is that it is actually more operationally efficient. So retailers find they save at least 30 seconds every time they unpack and break down a box with our packaging. So the labor costs are, are important. And then it's a, it's a reasonable object that avoids you having to spend a buck fifty, two bucks on a cardboard box every time you need to ship something. These things stay in circulation for 25, 30, 35 cycles. And so you might be investing a bit more upfront in the package, but you really make it back over that lifespan plus. You know, on my podcast, I talk to all sorts of people like yourself, but a lot of them are shipping direct to consumer. A lot are logistics companies, but we're all consumers. And when we get stuff to the house, and we've all had this experience where you get something and the box is way too big and there's too much stuff in the box where you're like, oh my God, all I ordered is this $15 item and I got, looks like $5 worth of packaging and it feels bad. And then a lot of people, myself included, end up just throwing those boxes out in the garage and hopefully you reuse them for something. 
But a lot of times they just end up in our recycling bins. And I think it's a bad feeling for consumers. It is. It's, I mean, the polling data is, is reflects that kind of uh, sentiment and, and it, it's growing. You know, more people are sensitive to this. Of course, then when you ask consumers, well, are you spending less money online? Because of that feeling, the answer is no, they still spend as much or more. So it is a real uh, challenge for, for us as a society and certainly for retailers and logistics providers is that consumers have real packaging fatigue, but they also really appreciate the convenience and the service of direct home delivery. And so finding a happy balance there is definitely a challenge. Yep. I, I know I have two daughters and they're adults now, but every time I have to buy something for them, I say, what, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? Whatever. It's always, they're directing me some website that is sustainable clothes, right? And, um, or sustainable cosmetics. So always something re related to sustainability. And my youngest daughter went to school for a sustainable business at Aquinas College in Grand Rapids. And her her mindset and my other daughter's mindset is I don't want to buy from brands that don't do well for the environment. And they are willing to pay extra. But I don't think that's always going to be the way. Not everyone's going to want to. But my one daughter always says, young people are already doing it if they can and old wealthy people are doing it it's just everybody in between so i think the tide is turning in terms of public sentiment where people go i want to not necessarily because it's convenient i want to feel like a good human yeah I, I think it's called conscientious consumption and i think that's a real trend how it plays out in it for retailers is is, is difficult because there is there are certain changes that, that consumers make in their behavior and that companies can make and how they service them that are easy easier to, to uh, implement. For example, you could put more recycled content in your product or you could source it from local sources as opposed to shipping it from somewhere overseas. And those are things that have sort of immediate and, and direct impact as soon as the customer hits buy, purchase. Right. Other, other things that are more systemic changes like reusable packaging are a very different set of challenges and one that I think are harder for retailers to kind of see through and for consumers to follow through on. And so finding that balance is really hard. It's something we think about all the time with our retail partners because you got to get it right and um, you, you got to do right by your customers and the planet. But also economically, you can't implement solutions that aren't going to be cost effective. And so figuring out how to meet that that evolution in consumer sentiment and, and to do it in a way that's cost competitive is is a real tricky thing for retail right now. Yep. All right. Well, let's switch gears for just a minute. Tell me a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you got to Returnity. By the way, are you the founder over there? I am not the founder originally. It was spun out of uh, a reasonable shopping bag business actually out of Santa Cruz and the investor group brought me in almost six years ago now to, to take over and, and figure out how to build something with this thing. Excellent. Well, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Went, went stayed there for undergrad and uh, got, a, got a degree actually in environmental policy and went straight to Washington. That's University went, of Michigan for people who don't know Ann Arbor. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, University of Michigan, they have a really strong environmental degree program there. And, and I used that to go into advocacy. I was working for the Sierra Club in their Washington, D.C. office, working in Congress for a bit. I'm working on that policy side. Found I was uh, getting a little bit tired of seeing the environmental groups getting their, their butts kicked, frankly, <laughs> by large corporations who 
who had a lot more power and sway and, and ability to influence legislation. And, and I figured if, I, if we're going to make real change, I got to figure out how to understand and work with big business and make it work for them. So I actually left uh, D.C. after five years, came back to Michigan and did, did my MBA at the University of Michigan's uh, Ross School. Go blue. And, yeah, go blue. And <laughs> since then, I've been working on startups and growth companies that are doing something generally all involved in operations, logistics, environmental issues. For eight years, I was working with a company out of Dexter, Michigan called Recellular that we grew to be the biggest mobile phone reuse and recycling When I was company. still doing logistics, selling logistics services, I talked to people over there. I mean, it was, we had a really good Thanks run. Thanks for not giving me the business. Well, <laughs> must, you were talking to me, I guess. There, but. <laughs> but we had a good run. I mean, we, and I learned a lot of that job that really serves me at Returnity because we were supporting Verizon and AT&T and Walmart and all the big retailers on their end of life programs for their phones and figuring out how to make it work, not just from an environmental standpoint, but how do you get the things back from the customers? How do you do it in a, in a low cost way, an efficient way? What do you do with all these used assets once they come back to you? And a lot of those same issues that we had to work through there are really relevant in the packaging space as well. And, and that's, I think what, what got me connected into Returnity by that investor group is, is being able to leverage that experience from, from previous roles. So you started at Returnity, you said about six years ago. What, what drew you to the company? Well, I happen to know one of their uh, lead angel investors. He's uh, another another guy from Michigan, actually, who I, who I knew from, from uh, childhood even. And he knew my background, said, I think this company that I invested in might be a good fit for you. And so they had me first consult to the founder. And then when they decided to, to spin it out, just to focus on shipping, which is uh, such a unique animal <laughs> from an operations and cost standpoint, that was that was what got me in. Excellent. Excellent. So I, I think about this all the time lately is we talk about uh, we, when somebody hears the name Returnity, they, I'm sure a lot of people think returns, but I've said this many times on my podcast is we treat direct to consumer right now like it like I'm in a changing room, except I'm at my house. So I buy three sweaters <laughs> and I know I'm going to send two back. And I've been saying that, wait for it, wait for it. One of these days, Amazon and others are going to say, you can't return everything you want. We're no longer going to let you treat your house as a changing room and with free returns. And now we're starting to hear Amazon saying we're not doing free returns. And I think they'll cloak some of that in, it's bad for the environment. <laughs> and it is bad for the environment to do that. But they've done such a job, poor job, the clothing business done such a poor job on sizing for women for a long time. But I think also for men's, because now it's like, well, this what size shirt do I wear? Yeah, it depends if it's from Europe or from this brand or from that brand. Who knows what it fits? But also there's the packaging as part of that. That's right. I mean, it is just waste all, all the way around. And, and I think that and if you're a retailer, you tend to, I mean, your whole persona is built up in designing and selling exciting products, right? That's where the energy goes. That's where the CEO's attention is. Returns is generally not going to get the same not seat at the table. Sexy. <laughs> it's not as sexy. It's not. It's not where people sort of see as their path towards the CEO seat, right, or the C-suite is is returns. And so it's maybe not that surprising that it's maybe not gotten the level of attention it deserves, both economically, but then also environmentally. Sort of what the impact is. But I do think it's changing to be sure because it's undeniable. I mean, retailers just have had to confront this reality of how expensive returns 
is for them. So yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of momentum accordingly. I mean, I think the innovation that's happening there and the changes in policies then and driving brands to address this in new ways has is, is been exciting for us because it opens up new new paths for us. Yeah. By the way, I've said this before on my podcast, and it sounds like an old person thing to say, but I'll say it anyway. I was at my mom's house and she was watching Home Shopping Network. And they do such a good job on the Home Shopping Network of sizing. So there's like a woman, she come out, she goes, I'm five foot four, I'm a 160 pounds, and this is this size sweater and this size slacks, and they fit this well. I like how stretchy this is, whatever she's saying. And my mom says, it's really hard to buy on, you know, online. My mom's older. She said, but Home Shopping Network, they'll show you three or four models. And you say, okay, I think I know where I fit in that. And all these online brands, to your point, make such a splash in the look and feel of their website. But when it comes to, does it fit? How do I make sure I buy something that fits? I feel like we've dropped the ball there. And we're going to have to get, that's going to be part of getting better at the sustainability but let's switch gears back again. So what problem do you solve for your customers? And by the way, who are your customers first? And then what problems do you solve for them? Our customers are largely either brick and mortar retailers or the logistics providers that are supporting them. You know, we have clients using our reasonable packaging, certainly for direct-to-consumer shipping, and then increasingly for in-store retail packaging and, and packaging needs there. But ultimately, our, our sort of core product is how we're helping retailers more efficiently move products either forward to their stores or back from stores to distribution centers when they're returned in, in, in person through like, you know, no box, no label kind of return programs that, that retailers are using now to address this cost impact of return. So in short, we're replacing cardboard boxes and poly mailer bags for, for brands and retailers and then doing it in a way that can make sense operationally, economically, and environmentally. Right. I I grew up in the automotive business, and you're not allowed to bring a cardboard box to an assembly plant. And the reason you aren't allowed is because what happens is cardboard boxes get wet, they get dirty, and those little fibers you think well there's no big deal it gets wet you throw it out it gets wet it breaks down it ends up causing quality problems so you don't think of an assembly plant as a clean room but the cleaner it is the better products you're developing so we have anybody in a quality environment knows the challenge you have with cardboard it it ends up being in places you don't want it to be <laughs> Well, and I think in, in an apparels context, they it's not just the, the water damage issue that is that is serious. It's box cutters are the enemy of, of retail. And you would be shocked at how often when we tell clients that you don't use box cutters to open our boxes, they get excited because it's a workplace injury risk, but they have an incredible amount of product damage that occurs from associates in that store getting a delivery and cutting open that box and nicking a dress. And that's I never knew that. So if I'm in a retail location and I open up, let's just say, they, they, do they receive pallets from a distribution center? It depends. I mean, certainly the biggest retailers will, but even mid-sized chains, they're getting deliveries. You know, they might be getting LTL. They might be getting UPS, dropping off three boxes. And so they're, I guess, so they're using box cutters. And I guess if I was doing 
hundreds of boxes a week, I would want a box cutter as opposed to the way I do it at my house with a knife. <laughs> or my keys, yes. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. But you do have to worry, are you damaging product and are you going to cut yourself? We, we're working with, uh, I, won't, I won't name them, but it's a prominent women's apparel brand. Everyone they, knows who they are. Well, they <laughs> ship, when they ship to their stores, they use a cardboard box, a long flat box because they're shipping dresses. And then inside on both the bottom and the top, they put two layers of a thick cardstock just to protect the dresses during uh, opening. So they're not just spending 2 to $3 on a cardboard box. They're spending another dollar or two on cardstock. So... Yeah, it's a it's you know it's real money and time and product d implications that that are that are a thing. So that's the forward. That's the forward from the distribution center to the store. So there's the box cutting that you could obviously workplace injuries. I, I, ideally, you want an environment, a job that doesn't require box cutters to be in the building. <laughs> and so it's damaging product. It's damaging your people. Maybe more important. So. What other advantages when it's moving forward? Well, the, and by the way, I mean, the, the associates just hate it. I mean, if you ask a retail associate, what are their least favorite parts of the jobs? I, again, I had no idea that they would answer, Ugh, I'm so tired of cutting open boxes, pulling product out and having to break them down and collapse them and get them all condensed and ready if they, you know, maybe they have a, um, a machine in the back to, to, to bundle it all together. Maybe they have to tape it all up and get it ready for the recycler, whoever's picking it up. Retail associates hate it, so it's it's workplace dissatisfaction and damage as we and, and time. As we it's got to take time. a lot more time. I mean, we just got off with another. I mean, we're in pilot with a bunch of retailers, and they all want to do their own time studies. And every single one of them is getting the same answer, which is that they save thirty seconds or more per box that they unpack in the retail store, and that's a lot of labor time over over the span of a week or a month. And, and so there's real dollar savings associated with that. If I could add something to that, when you go to, I won't mention the names, but let's just say the mall. You go to the mall, the big retailers that are in the mall. Used to be, be walking around and everywhere you go, somebody said, can I help you? Can I help you? What are you looking for today? Not today. That is a tough business and I, I'm not blaming anyone, but there's very few associates on the floor. I, I, I've tried to buy something and you have to wander around the store with a sweater in your arms like, hey, can I buy this, please? Very different than it was before we had uh, online. So that extra 30 seconds per box means more people on the floor helping customers driving sales. Absolutely. And, you know, none of that would matter if the total economic <laughs> use cycle wasn't competitive. But when you factor in lost product damage and better labor efficiency, and then you're able to reuse that asset for 20, 30, 40 shipping cycles. $2 a pop on cardboard times 40 starts to add up. And our boxes cost generally about a third of the cost of the equivalent on a cardboard you'd be buying. So you add all those things together and, and retailers are typically getting about 30% savings on their packaging costs over that lifespan, which, you know, they don't have that many things they can get that kind of win that easily. Right. Especially now. I mean, there's, it's a tough environment because they are the brick and mortars are fighting the D2C, direct to consumer. So what kind of container are you, I'm not getting that cardboard box. What kind of container are you shipping that makes it so easy to open? Yeah. Well, so we, I mean, first of all, we have a great affection for cardboard. I mean, I say cardboard is dumb and, and easy 
which is what makes it so great. You know, so like we we knew going in, we had to if we're going to compete with cardboard, we have to make it cost efficient. We have to make it really simple and easy to do. And, and it can't be some complicated package where you got to have a <laughs> training session and like special tools or whatever. It has to just work like cardboard. It has to work within the logistics system that cardboard operates in, right? It can't, can't, it has to have the right coefficient of friction. So when it's on the conveyor, it's not flying off the corner. Like, so we made our boxes out of, it's a plastic fabric around a plastic corrugate. So it's got actually superior edge crush test to cardboard. It's got way superior water resistance. And then they have the way the, the walls and the are designed, it just pops up, it pops open into its rigid shape when, when the retailer you know pulls it out of the, out of the bin. And then depending on the choice of, of the partner, it can either have a, just a fold over top that, that zip ties close in the front or a zipper track if they want extra tamper resistance. And yeah, but it looks like a box just made out of plastic, more or less, but one that that's been used for millions of shipments and lasts much, much longer. And, and, and it's just because instead of having to tape it all up and then remove all that tape through, you know, with a knife or whatever to get it to close down, they just pop into form and then pop back down. That that's where that efficiency comes in, but otherwise it's just going to work like a box. So I hear so much about why so often how plastic is vilified. Now you're making plastic the hero. Why is that the case? Well, I don't think, yeah, I mean, I think plastic gets a bad rap for reasons that it often deserves. You know, the, the, the problem with plastic is is well known. But cardboard doesn't get, you know, you can't give paper extraction, you know, paper manufacturing a free pass either. I mean, there, there are costs associated with all of these materials. And for cardboard, for all its strengths, you know, it's not limitless in how long you can recycle it. It has to get driven pretty far. I mean, that's the thing I think people don't necessarily appreciate is that when you throw it in that recycle bin, it's getting driven to a place where it's getting driven to a place where it's getting driven to a place where it's processed to be made into a new box, to be driven back to a place. we So there's a lot of logistics associated with it. And when you look at the total impact of extracting and making a box out of plastic or cardboard, if you can make that, use that plastic box, for 20 or more cycles like ours are regularly the the total environmental savings do become really significant even if that plastic isn't recycled at the end of its use because i think recycling has sort of been given this this sort of top of the heap reputation like boy if only you can recycle it we're all good but reuse really you know there's a reason why the, the classic hierarchy of reduce reuse recycle is in that order when you can reuse something enough even if you're not recycling the most materials, the total impact can still be stronger. And that's what that's what happens here. Yeah, it's funny. Recycling, I think it's a feel-good exercise, but unless there's a real market for that in the for that what you're sending back, it doesn't make any sense. And it's not cost effective in many, many places. And we do it, and I always say this, eighty percent of greenhouse gases come from the supply chain, which is what we're talking about right here. Twenty percent comes from what we do as consumers. So getting back to it, when we look at that container, it's better when it's it's coming my way. Now, what do they do with it after they've opened it up, taken the clothes out and put them on the racks? What do they do with the container then? Well, so that that's one of the strengths of using it in a business to business context is that you can train employees and in this context they they throw they keep one of the boxes built, they put the empties, they just nest, you know, they just nest right back in. So they ship a box of boxes back to point A. 
whether that's going literally one box at a time via via carrier or if it's being palletized, it depends on, on the retailer and their use model. But you know, most retailers are used to rigid plastic totes for logistics and how those are palletized. This is in essence extending that model into packaging that can be used for shipping. And also it's because it's not machined, you know, you're not making a mold, it's much easier for us to customize sizing and to make it really explicitly to a retailer's ideal form factor, but they're going to operate in the same basic use model. Yep. I can say, tell you this, when I was still working in automotive, we would make, there's quite the engineering that would go into what would get put in a truck. And you would end up saying, we're going to put all these parts, a hundred parts per tote, plastic tote. And those totes would just be recycled. I mean, I'm, I'm reused, wrong way to say it. But what was interesting about those totes is they would break them down so they would fold flat. And so for every, you know, hundred that you would set, you would have to have one truckload back to, and it worked out pretty well. And again, the, you don't, you're not allowed to bring cardboard boxes into most assembly plants because of the problem we have with them. So those plastic totes became the biz. So let me ask this. You ever see like specialized pallets, the really nice plastic pallets? I've heard people say, yeah, the problem when you get one of those really great pallets is no one gives them back. Now, do you have a problem with people going, I really like this, I'm going to take one home, or the company's keeping them? <laughs> yes. I mean, that's why we don't really do a lot of direct-to-consumer shipping models, because the best, except for in fashion rental. So we work with Rent the Runway and other fashion rental businesses where the consumer is sending back rental goods that they're going to get charged a lot if they don't. So like they will get it back. But in direct to consumer context, you'll have plenty of consumers who either didn't realize it, that they were supposed to send it back, didn't get around to it. Maybe the spouse ordered it and they, it got delivered and, and the husband didn't know what it was and threw it in the garbage without thinking. And and look, that's not to blame consumers. You know, we have busy lives. Like, but in reuse, you have to really reuse it. I mean, our, we if you can't get at least 90% of them back, you're not going to be able to make this work economically or environmentally. And really, it needs to be 95%. Well, getting 90 or 95% of consumers to do anything is pretty much impossible, particularly if it's changed in behavior to send a reasonable package back. So direct-to-consumer packaging it's, it's not a package problem. It's not, can I make the thing protect the product and get it to the customer in good shape? It's, can I get the customer to return the empty package? That's the problem. That can be returnity's uh, second act after you've got all this figured out. So <laughs> so, you're, so you're working in internal logistics mostly. In essence, we're working in placements where I can make an economic argument that you should switch from single use because I'm going to save you money, which is almost exclusively going to be internal logistics. Or working with retailers where they're getting, in essence, forced into using reusables, either through regulation or maybe C-suite policy changes or some such thing. So that's particularly true in, in, in brick and mortar grocery. I mean, here in New Jersey, where, where we just went live in 12 CVS and Target stores with a new pilot last week, they New Jersey banned single-use shopping bags. They can't use them. So... Customers either have to bring their own or they got to buy one when they get to the store. There's no other choice. And that's a real culture change, but it's a real operations change. You know, now retailers are having to figure out like, how am I, like client orders a product online for pickup in store. How am I getting that product to my customer? They show up at the store. I have to pre-pick it, right? Because that's the whole model there. Right. I wheel it out to their to their car. 
a lot of these retailers, they're literally taking one item out, out at a time out of the cart and putting it in your trunk, which is like really labor inefficient and frustrating to the customer. So they have all these new restrictions in place and that's where our expertise in systems is really helping. So we're helping clients like CVS and Target figure out how to meet this new paradigm. It's not cost effective, but it's regulatory driven, so they got to do it. So those are basically the two models today. It's either got to save them money or it's got to be a problem that was put on them that we, we help them try and solve. Well, and during the pandemic, we were, I would say just before the pandemic, we were seeing more and more people bring their own grocery shopping bags. And then what we realized is that might be carrying, I might, by the way, now it sounds a little bit like nonsense, but we were told at the time, you might be bringing coronavirus home in that bag, right? You might be bringing it to the store. I'm not so sure that's necessarily true, but in the height of our freaked out nature, we were, uh, yeah, we believed it. But that's so we do have people buying groceries more and more, uh, wanting delivered. And uh, are they delivered? Are they using these to deliver to homes and then and then get them back? Today, generally, no, they're just delivering them. I mean, there, there, there's been news coverage in New Jersey in particular because it's sort of the biggest lab experiment we have here in the U.S. at this point of consumers who are, you know, they're getting their grocery delivery every week because uh, people got to buy groceries all the time. And they're just getting more and more and more reasonable bags. I mean, they're getting dozens, hundreds, you know, what are they supposed to do with them? Retailers are not, it's not... If I'm Target or Walmart, the last thing I want to do is be an expert at collecting, cleaning, and reusing packaging. That is not their business, right? But but it's a real consumer pain point at this at this time, and so that's right. where we can step in and help them help them run that part of the so business. You mentioned cleaning. Talk about that for a second. Well, at the end of the day, it doesn't need to be complicated. It just needs to happen. In fact, you know, complicated is expensive generally, and expensive is the enemy of this. It's just a bag. I mean, that's, you know, we, we really work hard to not over-romanticize this. It's just a delivery bag. It's a reasonable grocery bag. It costs a dollar maybe or not even. You can't have an expensive cleaning system for that thing if you want to make it economically viable. So our approach is to onboard local infrastructure, to do it with the lowest cost, simplest cleaning processes, you know, like laundry, it's just laundry, just throw it in a washing machine. It, it's only slightly oversimplified. And then you dry it and then you can use it again. It's hy- hygienic. It, you know, it takes, it does the job and it does it in a really low cost way, which is what you have to be able to do. Yeah. You know, uh, Mike, the whole time we've been talking, even before we hit record, all I keep thinking about is you guys just began. Who knows? You know, if I have to talk to you in a year or two, I know there'll be even better solutions because this is still a brand new space. I mean, direct to consumer is still relatively new. And the in the in the COVID and post-COVID world, we had to learn a lot. <laughs> well that's yeah, and I mean we are we've been doubling. This would be our third year in a row doubling, but we're not even a, a fraction of the overall market yet, for sure. There's so much space for growth here. And the systems keep changing. I, mean, I just read an article this morning that's predicting, well, drones are finally going to take on a meaningful percentage of deliveries. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'll believe that when I see it. But I, I'm still not on board with that yet. Yeah. But but I think, you know, the, with lockers or yep. or in person, like, you know, with UPSs, no label, no box, no box, no label returns. You know, these all these changes that we're seeing in last mile, first mile logistics 
are creating opportunities for us. I mean, they're creating opportunities for everybody in, in supply chain and logistics. It's, and consumer behavior is evolving quickly as those systems mature. You know, packaging is, is an enabler and enabled by those changes. And so I think reusables are only just getting started to be sure as, as these systems start to mature. Yep, I get that. I get that. So you're working with stores, retailers. What about direct-to-consumer? Do you work with any direct-to-consumer companies? Uh, we have some programs. You know, we, I mentioned Rent the Runway is, is a sort of prominent. But that's, that's, that has result. to be returned. That's addressed that I... It does, yeah. I mean, we have a product with Aveda, one of Estee Lauder's brands, uh-huh. uh, a program with them for their subscription refill. It starts to work into... So they ship refillable bottles and, and reusable packaging, reusable shipping packaging that we developed. It starts to... It has some advantages. It's, it's a high-touch, high-frequency engagement with an end consumer, uh, which starts to create a better platform. But to be honest, and, there, and there, there certainly are retailers out there who have used reusables for if you buy a pair of jeans or something from them. But, but our vantage point is that that is a very, very difficult model right. to try and address today. It's, first of all, as we said, you're not going to get it back enough. But even if you did... To ship one empty package back to a retailer, <laughs> right. it's just profoundly expensive. And if the logistics cost of getting the reusable back is more than the single-use package you're replacing, so if I spent you know twenty cents on a poly mailer, and instead I spend two dollars with UPS or USPS to get an empty back, like who's paying a buck eighty every cycle? Right, right, right. You know, I was in uh, I was in Portland visiting my daughters, and I was we were walking by stores by my daughter's house, and there was one store that we went in, and it was like a I'm sure I'm going to botch this, but it was like a bulk buy store where you would go in and you could buy shampoo, and you would bring your own container. I think you could buy the containers there, but I think the idea was I'm going to bring this back when it's empty, and then I'm buying soap. There was all sorts of stuff. There was I, I'm I'm thinking about soap and, and shampoo, but I'm sure there was twenty or thirty other things you could buy, house cleaner, all sorts of stuff. And I was like, okay, I get this. Now it doesn't work everywhere, but you could see it starts on the fringes, and I can see why. I also know people do it with beer growlers, like those big bottles where they can go buy craft beer <laughs> and get it filled up so you can have a gallon of beer in a bottle of your house. <laughs> there, yes, there are pockets to be sure where it's working. And I think, but you know, we, I think we have to be realistic. We're away. We're a ways away. <laughs> that we're a ways away. And we have bigger bites of the apple than that. I mean, I think that's the harsh, but true reality is that it's just packaging <laughs> at the end of the day. It's important not to over romanticize the idea yes. that, that this might somehow solve climate change or something by itself. It won't. And so we shouldn't be too too strict about our, our sort of vision of this, I think. Yeah. Well, I think this is the nature of, you know, trying to become more sustainable is it's not going to make sense if I can't do it cost effectively. You're saving them money. If you were talking about this as, and it only costs an extra 30%, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> Well, and look, I mean, that's where we started too. I mean, that, that's a reason why I'm six years in, but now this is our main emphasis is because we learned how to find market fit where we could actually be cost competitive. So that you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, 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 we call them press release programs. You know, it sounds good, you know, to send it to your customer, a, a direct to consumer in a, in a reasonable 
but we also know that it just won't it won't sustain because it's too expensive and so you know that's not good business for me you know if i can't get you to keep ordering the thing because it costs you too much i'm never going to succeed as a company so i had to find where the placements could actually be economically competitive right so you're working right now with retailers. You're also working with logistics companies. How do you work with them? Well, what's been, I think, fun is to see uh, over the last year or two how the carriers have started to kind of come around to what role they actually need to play here. So we, we're working directly with, with all the major carriers in some way on how to, to sort of serve, how they can serve their end customers. Because, you know, the UPS is a- UPS and FedEx, small parcel stuff. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, even like they're, they're, they're doing a lot more of the infrastructure too around returns and things like that as well for, for, for retail. So yeah, a lot of it there. I mean, I think they have like, they all have legacy uh, sales contracts that charge a service fee for anything that's not cardboard, which is the head of the FedEx lab told me, he's like, look, people will just slap a label on a car tire. We had to have something in there that was a fee if it wasn't cardboard, but that is in increasingly an antiquated approach to this evolving market. So they have really, it's it's sort of been a 180 over the last 12 months where now they've become true partners on this and a lot of, of their infrastructure and then how they align work that we and others are doing to, to retail, I think is going to be coming out over the next year. And so that's an exciting change uh, because they had frankly been a big impediment. I mean, if I'm a retailer and I, I might get charged 15 bucks Every time I ship something in a reusable because it's not cardboard, guess what? I'm not using reusables, right? So our ability to work with them to get that policy off the off the books was important. Yeah. Well, I think, um, well, you get that policy background. That'll help. But uh, also, you're not going to create a policy unless you know there's an, a product that enables it. And that's what you guys are providing. So let's let's switch gears here. What I'll do is I'll put a LinkedIn, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll also put a link to your website. And if you've got some links to pictures, that would be great, or videos, that would be great because I think most people are who are listening are saying, hey, I can't envision what this looks like. So if you got a little video, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. We have a 30 second and a one minute that I think captures the sort of use model. So depending All right. on which one you want. Yeah. All right. So what I'd also like to do is... Uh, I'll put a link to your website. So what conferences will we see you guys at? What conferences do you go to? Well, I'll be on a panel at Waste Expo, which is in just a couple of weeks in, in New Orleans. The panel is May 4th. No, May 3rd. Sorry, May 3rd, first thing. So that's coming up soon. I don't know if this will be out by then. And then yep. um, I think the next one for sure is there's a show called Circularity out in oh, very uh, nice. in Seattle that's um, run by the Green Biz Group that uh, we'll be at. That's in early June. Beyond that, I'm not sure if anything... There's like a EPAC in October, I think, in Chicago that I'm speaking at, I believe. Uh, yeah, some other stuff's still getting kind of firmed up. Excellent, excellent. So they'll be able to reach out to you via the LinkedIn or through uh, the website. I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, people who are killing it, who else should I interview on my podcast? And I know I didn't ask you ahead of time, but you'll have to come up with No, it. that's all right. Well, I mean, I mentioned Happy Returns. I think that they, I mean, they are growing like mad. PayPal bought them about a year and a half ago. Who is it? It's called Happy Returns. They were bought by PayPal about a year and a half ago. As I mentioned, they're- Who's there that you know? 
well, I mean, I, I don't know if David Sobe, the CEO, or who I, you know, or whoever he would sort of suggest, but um, I mean, I know the whole team there real well. Well, if you've got their email, then you can introduce me. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to. I, I think they're they're a great outfit, and they're like, like I said, I mean, they are growing leaps and bounds in how they're servicing reverse logistics right now, and so I think I think it's just really a cool success story. We're going to have to get much better at this. And by the way, we've all heard about Amazon starting to charge for stuff, some some returns. But also, I don't know where it's gone right now, but I do know Amazon is making uh, more investments in retail. And I think at least some of that investment in retail is tied to returns. Yeah, I mean, if you go to like a Whole Foods, you know, it's a brick and mortar store, but a huge percentage of that footprint now is both for online order delivery and then for returns, not just for grocery, but for if you buy something on Amazon, you can go return it at Whole Foods. Yeah. And you walk in those stores and you're not quite sure what you got there. Is this a is this a warehouse or a retail store? Because they're doing so much of the work that warehouses traditionally would yeah. have done. So I guess, you know, when you see Amazon deciding, you know, their main business was we are the almost the definition of what online commerce is and they're opening stores. And I think, again, some of it's going to be to push out some of their private label stuff, of course. And who knows what else they got up their sleeve. But we do know part of that's tied to these returns. And I think I wouldn't be surprised to hear you guys doing something with them, because at that point, if I get something in a reusable packaging and I do have to return it, I'm going to return it to the store that's by my house. Yeah, I think I think that pack, reusable packaging can really create efficiencies and synergies. And and I think I think I would absolutely agree that it's early days still in a lot of this stuff. So we're figuring it out, and you're helping us. So thank you. So, well, you can always count on the Wolverines to be figuring it out for the rest of the world. <laughs> Mike Newman, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Yep, And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.